You wake up sensing something is wrong. The alarm clock didn't work. The heater didn't start. You flick the switch and the lights don't work. You light some candles and take a shower. The water is just warm and goes cold after just a couple of minutes. You know what this is. It has happened three times in the last month. Last time the power was out for nearly a week. You know you won't be going to work today again. The government has been shutting down all industry to ensure sufficient electricity for selected essential services only. But you know you cannot afford to not work. You sink to your knees in despair. Still in the shower, wet and cold. Delivering reliable, abundant, affordable electricity is the most crucial challenge for every government around the world today. Choosing the wrong strategy could end in economic and environmental catastrophe. Victoria is being led towards that very cliff right now. Making the right choices now will deliver extraordinary benefits for the community, our businesses and the environment. Hello and welcome to One Victoria's series of draft policies. Here we will present a clear and positive alternative for Victorians who would like to see a new, better state government in 2026. In this draft policy we will discuss our plans for abundant, cheap electricity and we will discover how gas fits into the mix. There will be two parts to this podcast. Here in part one, we will set out why we believe our current approach is seriously flawed and what the potential alternatives are. In part two, we will set out One Victoria's draft policies. Electricity. This is the biggest issue facing our world today. We promise one thing. Devote a little time and you will understand the disaster that is unfolding regarding government energy policy in Victoria and Australia as a whole. You will want things to change urgently. Of all the essential services, if electricity were no longer available in a reliable form, society as we know it today would cease to exist. One Victoria recognises the need to provide our community as well as all businesses with certainty regarding abundant, clean, secure, cost-effective and reliable electricity supply. We are currently dependent on electricity in all aspects of our lives. Our computers, tablets, phones and social media appliances, the internet itself, all modern communications equipment and emergency response systems, our household cooking, cleaning and comfort appliances, our televisions, stereos and all modern amusement devices, street traffic control and neighbourhood lighting, Home lighting, security, heating and cooling. Our entire medical and veterinarian health systems, including personal life support appliances. Every single business in the world. All childcare and aged care facilities. Most handyman and trade tools. Aircraft and shipping navigation and safety systems. All defence launch and management systems. 
water purification and pumping systems, our very system of governance and the rule of law. One Victoria supports the global move away from polluting fossil fuels being used to generate electricity. Coal, abundantly available in Australia, has been the mainstay for Victorian power generation for many decades, and we support the need to progress beyond that method to a cleaner alternative, urgently. One Victoria strongly believes that the idealistic push for the holy grail of reliance on renewables, wind, solar and battery, is misguided and dangerous, because the proponents have naively or deliberately chosen to overlook the very real issue of reliability, dependability, the very high distribution network upgrade and ongoing replacement costs, and the disposal in their calculations, as we will demonstrate soon. One Victoria will implement an electricity supply plan focused on planning for today and tomorrow to build a better Victoria for everyone into the future. We believe our reliance on renewables will not work. In this draft policy, we will demonstrate why emerging technologies such as solar and wind generation are simply not ready to replace all of Victoria's power generating needs of the next century and probably never will be. Remember the plastic bag fiasco, where local and state governments required separation of plastic bags for use in a recycling facility that did not exist and is unlikely to ever be feasible. We will show wind and solar are too inefficient and incapable of generating the baseload power we will need. We will explain why essential backup of unreliable solar and wind with batteries and other methods will not work and will never be cost effective. We will show that the distribution costs and grid upgrades needed to support renewables cannot be justified. Finally, we will demonstrate the damage that renewables technologies are doing to the environment they are intended to save. We will, however, continue to monitor their development and use them to add value and redundancy to our core systems, particularly for remote and isolated communities where it may be cost-effective and appropriate to do so. It would be irresponsible to do anything else. What we will no longer do is heavily subsidise these methods. They will need to stand on their own strength and the fact is, we believe they cannot. There exists right now a method of large-scale baseload power generation which is clean, proven, safe, reliable, renewable and very efficient compared to all other methods of generation. We believe it's time to grow up and correct the mistakes of the past. It is time for Victoria to have a very grown-up and informed conversation about the benefits and efficiencies of nuclear power. One Victoria will lead this discussion leading up to the 2026 election. Incredibly, in a knee-jerk reaction to pressure from environmental groups and panic-generating mainstream and online press, the John Howard Federal Government introduced two pieces of legislation that effectively bans any future discussion, planning or attempts to construct any nuclear power station throughout all Australian states and territories. The Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Act of 1998, 
and the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act of 1999. Back then there was bipartisan support for both pieces of legislation, but that was then. The world is in a very different place now. It is clear that this silly act of political point scoring now threatens Australia's ability to provide its citizens with abundant, baseline, cheap power, threatens our competitiveness on the global stage and our very standard of living. The United Nations recently announced Nuclear power is an important source of low-carbon electricity and heat that can contribute to attaining carbon neutrality and hence to mitigate climate change. And the urgent need to reduce emissions and slow global heating should involve the rollout of more nuclear power stations. The UK, France, Sweden and Finland all announce renewed nuclear push. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sumak has announced the UK will be stepping back from their commitment to achieve net zero, describing prior commitments as being less than honest and simply too expensive. New legislation is being introduced early in 2024 to increase the service life of the UK's existing nuclear fleet and to massively increase the number of new power stations. The French are moving to increase their number of reactors. This is in a country that already supplies 70% of their electricity through their existing nuclear power stations. In Sweden and Norway, following extensive research, their governments with full support from the Greens have completely embraced nuclear power as the only true solution to a clean and efficient energy future. Let's compare the different methods of power generation. On our energy policy On onevictoria.com.au, we display charts by the world in data that show how wind, solar and nuclear are the safest and least polluting of all nuclear sources. When compared with coal, oil, gas and biomass, there's just no contest. The first chart shows the death rate from accidents and air pollution measured as deaths per terawatt-hour generated. They list coal as 24.6 deaths per terawatt-hour. Oil is 18.4 deaths. Natural gas is 2.8. Hydropower is 1.3. And then wind at 0.04 deaths, nuclear energy, 0.03 deaths, and solar at 0.02 deaths. The second chart shows the number of tonnes of CO2 greenhouse gas produced per gigawatt hour generated. Coal is 820 tonnes. At the other end of the scale, Nuclear is the lowest at three tonnes, wind at four and solar at five. If our aim is to reduce greenhouse gases and to fight climate change safely, there is little difference between wind, solar and nuclear. The point of difference, however, is in how efficient these different sources are. 
the percentage of time that any power generating system is actually generating its full capacity to the grid is referred to as the capacity factor. We have a graph on our website from 2020 because we've chosen that because it's very easy to interpret, but the numbers have not changed since this method have been reported this way. Nuclear generates full power 92.5% of the time. Wind, 35.4%, and solar is only 24.9%. Nuclear power is supremely efficient generating 92.5% of a given capacity factor, while wind and solar languish at the other end of the scale at 354 and 24.9% respectively. To be clear, for wind at 35.4 to generate one megawatt of power consistently, you would need to build 2.82 megawatts of infrastructure plus battery backup and additional transmission lines. There are 2,073 wind turbines in situ in Victoria or planned and approved to be implemented. It is proudly claimed that those 2,073 turbines have a generating capacity of 7,800 megawatts, but the reality, when weighed against a 35.4% capacity factor, we will need to build a total of 5,856 turbines to truly be capable of generating that amount of reliably, assuming, of course, that the wind is blowing at all. More recently, faced with increasing pushback from the farming community against continued growth of onshore wind farms, the federal and state governments are pursuing offshore farm development. On the 19th of December 2022, the federal government declared an area in Bass Strait off Gippsland as an offshore renewable energy zone. One of the planned farms, Star of the South, involves building over the next 10 to 17 years 200 to 250 wind turbines over an area of Bass Strait covering nearly 600 square kilometres. Each turbine will have a blade tip coming down to within 30 metres of the ocean's surface. From there, each turbine blade will be as tall tip to tip as the Eureka Tower in the Melbourne CBD. Think of that next time you're standing on the street outside the second tallest skyscraper in all of Australia. Those turbines will be visible from the beach. The specs show that these units will only generate the stated power when the wind is blowing consistently above 25 kilometres an hour. This is a very rare occasion so far this year based on very loose observations which we intend to firm up and will need to be turned off if the wind exceeds 90 kilometres per hour. Some models have to be turned off as low as 56 kilometres an hour. The stated cost of Star of the South was $5.7 billion two years ago, but more recently it's been stated at between 8 and 10. Here we go, Mr Andrews, Ms Allen, Labor. One Victoria has two questions regarding this plan. Question 1. What exactly happens if a massive ship loses the use of its rudder, as has happened before in Australian waters, and drifts out of control into that field of electricity-generating giants? Question 2. 
What happens on days when the wind blows below or above the stated optimal range? This farm alone is quoted as generating 20% of all of Victoria's power generation. In January 2024, the Federal Environment Minister denied planning permission for a large staging base for these offshore wind farms, which was planned for Hastings. The reason? Potential intrusion into wetlands. They can't even get the planning right before a single sod is turned. It is our understanding that the Federal Government has agreed to grant wind farm businesses $500,000 per turbine per year to protect their profitability. That totals $3 billion per year ongoing. This will stop under One Victoria. We are not alone here. Just this month, following the complete failure by the UK Government to attract any willingness to build new wind farms by participating in exactly the same auction system proposed by our Prime Minister, in a future where wind does not make good business sense, an industry leader called for a 70% increase in payments per kilowatt hour. In the USA, the world's biggest offshore turbine company walked away from their contract because the US government refused to significantly increase tax concessions for the project. We share a couple of TED Talk videos by Michael Schellenberger, a passionate activist for action to protect the climate, who is now a more informed and equally passionate activist for a cleaner and more sensible climate protection plan. In video one, he speaks from the heart about the unintended consequences of renewables as our only source of power generation. We've all seen the television ads proclaiming our rush to a renewables future. Michael was part of that rush, but he explains why he now believes it is so wrong. In video two, he speaks specifically about why he's completely changed his mind about nuclear power generation. Please note, both of these videos were recorded in 2016. Elsewhere, we show some updated statistics regarding Germany's renewable problems, which have just simply become even worse, and regarding the Chernobyl and Fukushima accidents. Next, authorities point to a mathematical calculation referred to as the levelised cost of electricity, which combines planning costs, financing costs, implementation costs and life costs with the retail price needed to provide a return on investment. Our own governments repeatedly refer to these calculations when saying that nuclear power is just too expensive. We display one of these studies on our policy. We've reviewed many of these calculations, even one from Australia's CSIRO called GenCost, and believe there are three key emissions. None run their calculations over more than 25 years. This is conveniently when wind and solar will need to be completely replaced. Wind turbines and solar panels have a shelf life of 25 and 20 years respectively. Batteries are considerably less at around 15 years. Original nuclear power stations are lasting from 60 to 80 years and modern reactor designs are built to last from 80 to 100 years. There are examples all over the world where redundant wind turbines are left to degrade and rot, becoming a blot on the countryside 
or dismantled at great expense and then buried in landfill because the blades are toxic and non-recyclable. So we solve a problem caused by green renewable energy by exposing workers to toxic dust, then burn the pulp, which creates greenhouse gases, which are bad for the environment. Good job. Number two. None of the calculations allow for the truly staggering emerging cost of completely rebuilding distribution networks, high voltage wire and gantries crisscrossing the countryside to connect the distributed wind and solar farms to the grid. The CSIRO has established that 10,000 kilometres of these distribution wires are needed. I have read other estimates of 26,000 kilometres. While farming groups have called for them to be laid underground, the cost of doing so is astronomical. Number three, there appears to be zero allowance for the unfolding cost of rebuilding the local area grid to cope with the expanding distribution of rooftop solar, which, by the way, has been a very clever way of governments effectively shifting the cost of producing this most important of all essential services across to the domestic household budget, a cost which must be repeated every 15 to 20 years. One Victoria will continue to research why these academic organisations have chosen to tip the balance towards wind and solar in this way, which has contributed to Australian governments choosing to maintain the ban on nuclear power generation from all future plans. We hope our involvement in the debate will encourage more accurate and honest studies to be published. On the 22nd of December 2023, we wrote to the CSIRO following their announcement that they have updated their assessment based on the recent failure of a USA-based attempt to build and design a new salt-cooled small modular reactor from the ground up following cost and timing blowouts. CSIRO have confirmed that renewables are still the best solution for a clean energy transition. We asked them five questions. Number one, have you addressed the cost of dismantling and recycling and replacing renewables at their relatively short end of life? Please provide details. No LCOE graph reflects this repeating cost. Number two, what time frame and costs are included for electricity storage and backup. How many days do you allow for backup? We are spending billions to provide one battery that can provide one hour backup for a fraction of our needs. Number three, you speak of handling large amounts of atomic waste. That is old tech used in the USA. Modern power stations around the world recycle fuel back through the reactor up to seven times before storing the tiny amount left underground on site. Number four. You refer to 15-year timeframes being too long for Australia's urgent needs. How have South Korea and Japan achieved less than five years? Number five. Why has levelised cost of electricity not reflected the accepted 100-year life of nuclear? The UN says nuclear is essential. No jurisdiction in the world is making renewables only work successfully. We want to thank the CSIRO for responding so quickly. 
On January 2nd, we received their response together with the following documents. All are searchable online in PDF forms. Gen Cost Explainer The previous Gen Cost Explainer Nuclear Explainer, a three-page document Gen Cost Q&A The new Gen Cost Report, which is 93 pages and their Renewable Energy Storage Roadmap, which is a 200-page document. Their response concluded with an invitation to participate in the 2023-4 Levelised Cost of Electricity Consultation Process, which closed February 9th, 2024. We will present our response as part of our draft policies set out in Part 2 of our Energy Podcast. Let's now look at storage and battery backup. We describe that as the impossible dream. Consider this. Winds blow inconsistently and the sun does not always shine, even in this sunburnt country. Both can go through periods of zero or very low generation. When that happens, we will need backup. In 2022, the Global Warming Policy Foundation published a briefing paper called The Energy Storage Conundrum. It makes interesting reading. We'll quote a couple of parts of it. The amount of electricity storage required is very large. Despite this, policymakers are ploughing ahead with deployment of wind and solar in the hope that scientists may eventually come up with something to save the day. And... Politicians throughout the developed world, urged on by environmental activists, talk with utmost earnestness about their plans for net zero and have committed and are further committing their citizens and taxpayers to tens and hundreds of billions of dollars of spending to achieve this goal. Yet from their heads-in-the-sand approach to the energy storage conundrum, one would have to conclude that the entire effort is either wholly unserious or breathtakingly incompetent. It is abundantly clear that no jurisdiction can get anywhere near net zero on the current path of just building more wind and solar generators and paying little to no attention to the problem of energy storage. Down that path, one quickly comes to the current predicament of Germany, which has plenty of wind and solar generation capacity to supply its needs on a windy and sunny day, but almost no storage for when the night comes and the wind stops blowing. Germany has thus made itself dependent on increased fossil fuel backup. We recommend that you follow the link to this comprehensive briefing at the end of this policy page and read the whole paper. Author Francis Menton holds degrees in mathematics at Yale and law at Harvard. Although the Hazelwood coal power station delivered some 12,000 gigawatt hours per annum, which was about 25% of Victoria's electricity needs, it was decommissioned early because it was said to be our most polluting facility. The site is now home to Australia's largest privately funded battery, claiming to be able to provide up to one hour of supply to 30,000 homes. No businesses. It is expected that these battery installations will lose charge capacity each year and offer a lifespan of up to 15 years. Their capacity to provide those 60 minutes of power in this example will reduce every year of their life. So let's see if we can understand this correctly. 
A power station that supplied baseload electricity to 25% of Victoria's homes and businesses for 52 years, with an expected operational life until 2036, and has a major part of the state's distribution infrastructure radiating out from the site, now uses a battery that can only supply approximately 1.2% of our homes and zero businesses for just 60 minutes. Maximum. That's got to be a great deal, right? The CSIRO 2024 Electricity Storage Roadmap. Early in 2024, the CSIRO, Australia's peak scientific and government advisory body, published its latest analysis of the costs and issues surrounding the whole question of electricity supply, storage and backup nationally. Specifically, one report entitled Renewables Energy Storage Roadmap covers a very detailed look at storage requirements, possible methods and technologies, as well as an analysis of what we will need to do. We recommend that you download this report from the CSIRO website or simply Google the title Renewables Energy Storage Roadmap to download the PDF. Be warned, it's 200 pages long. CSIRO deployment considerations. To enable the storage applications, grid storage systems may require different storage technology types and durations, each presenting different deployment considerations. CSIRO discusses issues such as potential cost, hinting that nobody really knows, technology maturity, suggesting that newer systems may require more subsidies resulting in higher costs to us, Economies of scale, hitting that some regional areas will pay even more. Geographical and site characteristics, meaning some systems simply can't be done in some areas. And construction time, noting that their time frame is up until 2030, so some systems simply can't be done. They then suggest we in Australia may not be able to get what we need due to congested supply chains around the world. Some technologies present additional safety considerations, which is polite speak for the fact that batteries can catch fire and do not work well in the heat. Then finally, social considerations such as system noise and heat produced, ethical and sustainable supply chain management and job creation opportunities. This may also include various environmental considerations such as biodiversity management, water and land use, and the end-of-life management of assets. I think the people at CSIRO are so polite. Projects may never be permitted to go ahead. There is increasing community blowback. Woke groups campaign against these technologies despite the fact that they generally also push hard for renewables. And First Nations corporations are increasingly being granted last right of refusal over any project by governments and private individuals across the country, and particularly here in Victoria. Energy storage takeaways. So what can we take away from all of the information in that 200-page document? Here is a brief analysis. The CSIRO believes that a primarily renewables-based energy generation system will need energy storage that can provide a time shifting or firming to mitigate renewables intermittency and b backup to provide emergency energy 
to mitigate against periods of significant generation shortfall caused by unusual weather events or system failures. They recommend lithium batteries as best for short periods up to 12 hours and pumped hydro as best from 12 hours to long seasonal periods of greater than four days. Some international experts in countries where severe seasonal swings in weather recommend up to 28 days backup, but a conservative interpretation by one Victoria of the CSIRO findings for Australia suggests at least seven days. Other methods are being developed for future possible use, but are not considered as viable now. If we assume zero demand growth through increases in population and industry, the current peak 12-hour demand for Victoria is 123 gigawatts, or 123 million kilowatt-hours. The current average 12-hour demand for Victoria is 60 gigawatts, or 60 million kilowatt-hours. All current battery and hydro systems feeding into Victoria, including the time, cost and error-plagued Snowy 2 project and the newly proposed SEC shared big battery at Melton, are being used to time shift or firm supply. These resources will need to be significantly expanded as renewables grow to balance the inherent unreliability and erratic energy delivery throughout the day. This summary only covers the other side of battery usage, the emergency backup when unexpected weather events or system failures cause major shortages. Backup will need to be additional resources. We use costings based on the Melton site's published cost of $1.1 billion, some sources say $1.9 billion, and the current $12 billion cost of Snowy 2, which does not include connections, and the two lakes were already there. So we've adjusted this to a more realistic $25 billion size matched to include the construction of new reservoirs and connections. One Victoria has calculated a cost of $27.5 billion to provide 12 hours of battery backup for Victoria's average requirements. This will involve 27 batteries the size of the proposed Melton site. Mr Musk will be happy. Dispersed across the state, these will cover 15 square kilometres or the equivalent of 748 times the playing surface of the MCG. If we were to provide for 12 hours battery backup for our state's peak usage, we would need to spend $56.4 billion and this would involve 1,538 times the MCG playing surface, or 31 square kilometres. One Victoria has estimated the cost of $55.5 billion to provide the balance, after the batteries have been used up, of seven days electricity backup of the state's average usage, using the CSIRO's recommended pumped hydro systems. This will involve 2.2 times the Snowy 2 project to be used exclusively for backup with the top reservoir being full and primed at all times. If we were to provide for backup for the state's peak usage, we would need to spend $113 billion 
which will be 4.6 times the Snowy Mountains project. Remember, we assumed zero demand growth through increases in population and industry in the above calculation. In reality, Victoria's population is forecast by the government itself to grow nearly 25% by 2036. That's only 12 years from now. 1,600,000 extra people requiring additional housing, additional electricity and backup beyond the estimates above. We want new industry and to keep our existing industry to employ all those extra people. Our COA, as one example, is only keeping its Portland smelter open because our government has agreed to provide subsidised power for the next nine years from 2026. And guess who's paying for that? So there you have it. In addition to firming and time-shifting systems investments, the actual cost and unsightliness of wind and solar farms, the personal domestic cost of solar and battery systems, and the astronomical cost of power lines and grid upgrades, if Victoria is to supply adequate and secure backup for all domestic business and services needs in a primarily renewables future, we will need to spend up to $170.6 billion, with a third of that being repeated every 10 to 15 years to replace the batteries. This does not cover the needs of the extra 1.6 million people or the power needed to transform away from gas heating and cooling, charge all those EVs or attract and retain large, medium and small businesses to our state. Or we could just do what Labor is doing, plan for a future of rolling blackouts and industry shutdowns, economic and social catastrophe, and a lot more cold showers in the dark. The choice literally is yours. Support and then vote for One Victoria in 2026. One billion seconds. This is an important fact. There are a number of references to hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars in this report. People do not have a strong understanding of how much bigger $1 billion is than $1 million. When asked off the cuff, most say 10 or 100 times bigger. The correct answer is 1,000. So here's a new way of presenting this equation. Think of 1 million seconds. It adds up to 11.6 days. But 1 billion seconds is 31.5 years. Please join us for part two where we will discuss the safety of nuclear power stations, where gas fits into our energy mix, and we will present our detailed draft energy policies. On Victoria, we place Victoria's needs for energy first every day, in every way, always. Your ideas are welcome. Please contact us by sending an email to energy at onevictoria.com.au. Until then, goodbye, stay safe, keep well. Authorised by Kenneth Noonan, 1 Victoria, Suite 582 Waterman, Caribbean Park, 44 Lakeview Drive, Scoresby, Victoria 3179. Web, onevictoria.com.au. Mobile, 0421484115. Email, kennethn at onevictoria.com.au. One Victoria and OneVictoria.com.au are registered under ABN 23 124 908 499.